everyone, and welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Casey Miratori. And I'm Anna Rutberg. And today we are reviewing John Carpenter's first hentai flick, The Thing. The original hentai. That's not yes. true. This movie is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anna Rutberg, it sounds like you're going to start us off here. I mean, straight from the opening. Fantastic opening again. John Carpenter is great at setup. He's fantastic at it. He doesn't overexplain. He just presents you with questions and interesting situations. And this is like a great example of that. The opening scene where the helicopter flying around and they're shooting at the dog. And you're wondering, why are we shooting at the dog? It looks great. It's like actually shot out in the middle of nowhere in the snow. Um, and it just does such a great job of like slowly revealing more information to you. You're always in your head. You're trying to figure out what's going on and it like rewards you for that. Um, it's just and like the effects are amazing. It's just a fantastic like thriller, horror, suspense movie. Yeah, I mean, I would say I pr- I'm probably less enthusiastic about it than than you are. Uh, I liked the film, and I can see why, you know, I, I believe the recommendation for watching this film, someone actually said they thought it was John Carpenter's best film. And I can see why someone would say that, but at least for me, it, it wasn't. Like, I definitely enjoyed, I mean, for me, number one is Big Trouble in Little China by far. Uh, and number two was probably Halloween of the ones we've seen. And then this was actually number three, I would say. Okay. Number four being Escape from New York, which I didn't super care for. But in general, uh, although I did have some positive things to say about it, so I didn't I didn't hate the film, but it was definitely one it kind of drags. Uh, I didn't feel like it had enough you know meat in it, as we talked about. This one, I think, I, there's... It does a very good job with all of... I mean, it, it's standard John Carpenter almost for me. It does a very good job with the particulars. So you know where the characters are. You know what's going on. The yeah. shots are good. I think the performances are reasonable and all that stuff. But it once again, I feel like it bounces off the characters a little bit much. It it doesn't really get the same kind of level of intimacy as I think a film like this kind of wants. Mm-hmm. The kind that you got from, uh, say, a uh, a picture by uh, James Cameron, same exact kind of thing. You would get a lot more humanity out of the characters for whatever reason, right? I mean, I, I, I agree with you to some extent, although I would say of all the movies of his that we've seen, I think this one comes the closest to having that. And I also think, like, to me, this movie feels like the most polished of the John Carpenter movies we've seen. It it has very few weird, like, quirky flaws, like some of his yeah. other ones do. It's, like, really polished and really tight. And it, it, looks, it looks like more high budget and sort of, like... Like, like suddenly he's sort of working like on a different level. That's sort of how it felt to me. Um, and I think, I mean, I see what you're saying, but I do think the characters in this one probably were a little stronger uh, than in some of his other films, maybe with the exception of the like, Big Trouble in Little China. But, you know, those characters are very memorable, or at least he, uh, Kurt Russell's character in Big Trouble in Little China is like probably his best character. But... 
Um, well, I think what I would say is in Big Trouble in Little China, Kurt Russell's character doesn't really need more exploration because what he's doing is more akin to like almost like a Charlie Chaplin role. He's he's there to provide this sort of visual humor uh, and attitude for the audience. And I don't really need to know a whole hell of a lot about him. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think the problem in the thing, for me anyway, is that there's a certain amount of, there's a certain level of uh, intimacy is the word we used last time to describe it. I used it again this time. That I think a picture like this kind of needs, I just didn't feel like I was getting. And I think the reason for that, again, is because we just don't spend a lot of time with these characters in situations where there isn't anything happening. So almost every scene in this film, there is business going on, right? And that makes it so that if you are the kind of viewer who has a short attention span, perhaps the thing is actually doing a good job keeping you, uh, giving you something to look at and keeping you engaged in the film. So it's not necessarily a bad thing because not everyone wants that breathing room. But I think the cost is that you end up not really getting to know these characters before they are thrust into these situations. And I think, at least for me, it deflates a lot of what would otherwise be interesting tension between characters that I can see was there yeah. because it ha- it occurs, but I don't feel it. I, right. I feel like it's very shallow as a viewer, like in terms of the degree to which it affected me when I was watching it. And I can tell you for certain that the reason for that was because the setup wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it, that's an issue of what, what the movie is deciding to focus on, because yes. like you say, actually, a lot of that stuff is there. They have set up sort of certain characters who don't like each other, who have tension and conflict with each other, who don't trust each other already before this is happening. But the movie decides to not really focus on that and instead is really focusing on the thing and its sort of progress in sort of taking over people and and just sort of like the sequence of events. And it's like, I think it doesn't, you know, it it for me this movie doesn't really get boring like Escape from New York. Like it it has that momentum that carries Correct. it through. Yes. Um, there was an idea, there was always an idea of why you were invested in what was going on yeah. in sort of the action or suspense, whatever you want to call the scenes there. They're not really necessarily dramatic per se, although there are some like that. But mm-hmm. Escape from New York had some scenes that were very interesting, so it wasn't like Escape from New York didn't, didn't have those. But the kinds of scenes in Escape from New York that I didn't feel like worked for me were definitely just like, we didn't have an idea of why it would be interesting to watch this thing. It's just like, I don't know, some guys are walking around a room or a car is driving down a street, and it's really just not that interesting. Definitely the thing does not have that problem. There was always an idea of like why this particular situation would be sort of suspenseful or dramatic for the audience. They want to know which one of the people is the thing. They want to know is the thing in this room or is it not? They want to know is this character going to crack or not? Like yeah, I mean, they always did have that. And I, I do think the script does a good job of that. This movie is also it's like playing with a lot of really effective kind of tropes, um, like the enemy within kind of idea of like. Yeah. You know, one of our friends or many multiple of our friends is actually not our friend and we can't tell who it is. Um, and we get some really great scenes out of that. Like the blood test scene mm-hmm. is a just a fantastic scene. Yep. Uh, and and like the I mean, 
just thinking of the effects really like thinking about the 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 physical things that they built for this monster are just so good um and they like I love that that he's not afraid to like point the camera at it and like let it sit yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it changes and it moves and it morphs and it's it's like it's just so grotesque but so fun to look at. Yeah. It's just I don't know. I enjoyed watching this movie probably more like the most of all of his because I think it had the most interest at all times. Um, I was always curious what was going to happen next. Visually, it looks fantastic. The setting is amazing. Uh, and, I mean, it looks like for much of it, they were actually shooting out somewhere very cold and very snowy. Um, and it's just like, I don't know. It just There's this level of polish that this movie has that I think it, like, it really, it just really shows how good of a director John Carpenter is, this movie does. I would say that uh, it also kind of, to me, felt like a progenitor movie in the same way that Halloween did a little bit in that, like, yeah. it feels, I, I, when I was watching it, I was thinking about the fact that The Abyss is getting re-released mm-hmm. in December, uh, which I guess will be your first time to really see it. I think I saw it, uh, yeah, I saw it once, like, as real. a kid, yeah. and I just don't remember it. <clears throat> uh, but that movie has a lot of this movie in it. I don't think James Cameron has ever suggested as much, so maybe he doesn't think so or doesn't like John Carpenter. I have no idea. But uh, right down to the fact that in that movie, one of the characters is like a conspiracy theorist guy who, like, just like in this movie where there's a guy who just, you know, says the things about, like, the government's in on it and all that, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, It felt really, like, familiar. It's like there are people trapped in this isolated you know, small environment where it's very difficult to go outside and the there's a lot of, like, tension between people uh, and there's, like, some outside thing that gets introduced that, like, like, and all that. Like, with all John Carpenter movies, the setup and the, the, the location and all of the trappings are so immediately compelling. Yeah, and I like I said, I think, I think there's... There probably were... A lot of people who are like, oh, that kind of shows how we do some of these things, yeah. right? Uh, th- like, because, you know, those things get redefined over the, the generations, you know, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. There's like movies that come out and they kind of define how we're going to do this kind of film yeah. now, right? And this is one of those ones where you kind of feel like, okay, that it, it was kind of getting at, at some good stuff there. I, again, don't really think it handled the characters particularly well. Uh, I think it needed work in that regard, but otherwise, yeah, quite good. I I would say there were a few things that I thought script-wise actually could have been improved quite a bit, though. Um, there were just some things that... There were some things that just seemed unwise. Like, they didn't seem like good ideas in terms of what we were going to be showing at a particular time or not showing. And the the clearest example of that, I think, would be going to the giant flying saucer. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, it, that was like... Did you get the 2001 uh, references in that scene? It was like very 2001. The in, shots of when they're do, what up. Do you, I, what, no, I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel like it was particularly 2001. I feel like there but. was a few shots that were like directly referencing 2001. When they, when they first go to the moon to see the, uh-huh. there's some, when they're sort of standing far away, these three figures in 2001, or three or four men in spacesuits looking out over down to where the, the monolith is there's like it was very reminiscent of that even down to the music 
um, was like had that sort of like Eddie feel for when they're standing at the crater looking in. I just felt like it was to me. It felt like a, a direct homage. It might be. To yeah, I could see that. I'm not. I am not as familiar with some of the 2001 shots like the Moonbase one as you are. We've talked about this before, actually. For some reason, the whole moon sequence just is like in one eye and out the other for me <laughs> of 2001. Like some of those shots I remember very well because I thought they were just gorgeous. For some reason, those just never landed with me as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so you may very well be right about that, but I didn't really notice that. Uh, more specifically, what I was talking about, because I thought the shot looked fine. It was It was good looking. I mean... But you end up in this situation where, you know, you've effectively got this this team that flies out to this giant spaceship and they're just like, huh, all right, I guess there's a giant spaceship. Cut. Back to the movie. And it's just, it feels weird. You're just like, why did we go there? We didn't even go into the thing. Like, what was even the point of that? Why did the story even reveal that they had found that thing? Because it would have been more interesting to just not do that so that it's more mysterious. Like it just, the whole thing just didn't really work. And it made this weird like speed bump in the middle of the movie that I was just like, I don't know what the point of this was. I would say that that w- I had the exact same feeling about the intro sequence. It's just yeah, oh, remove, it's just not right. Yeah, remove the the space. The, the, it almost so, feels like something that would have been added like later. I, d- I don't know if that's true. I don't I don't know at all about the the history of it. I just think the flying saucer stuff just should have been pulled because like we found this weird thing buried in the ice is way more interesting than oh, let's talk about the guidance computer malfunction on some alien spacecraft that landed and then somebody like walked out of it and then froze it. Like, it's just not interesting for this story. If anything, the more you explain it, the less scary the thing becomes. And so it's just like, I didn't feel like that was good. I don't feel like those choices Mm -hmm. were well made. I think they should have probably been revisited, especially once you look at the final uh, screenplay and you realize we just don't do anything in here. We don't we don't take back any information from this. We don't go into the flying saucer and get something that we later need to you know help fight this thing. Mm -hmm. There is no real connection to the rest of the movie. And so all it served to do, at least to me, was make this creature less mysterious. And why do we want that? It doesn't make sense. I think it's sort of an example of of a story not knowing when to hold things back like you know I, I feel like this is something that I talk I've talked about before that I find that to be one of the hardest parts about telling stories which is like knowing when the right time to reveal information is or if you should even reveal that information right, right. and I think yeah like that choice to reveal that was maybe not the right thing for the movie right like that can be the truth of the story but like the choice of revealing it at the time they revealed it or revealing it at all was like, yeah, maybe ends up taking away mystery in a way that isn't good for the story. Yeah. And so, you know, I think there were some things like that when I was watching the film where I was like, I, I do feel like still the screenplay could have been improved here. Like, uh, and I guess just to kind of circle back to my original <clears throat> point, that time would have been better spent establishing the characters more firmly at the beginning of the story. And, uh, I, so I feel like there were times when this, the story was, you know, the movie was spending time doing things that really don't add anything to this film. And instead, we should have taken that five minutes back and used it to do things like really get us more comfortable with exactly who these characters are. Um, and so I think that was the thing. I would also point out that I did have a few like sort of you said it's. feels polished i would say it actually feels considerably less polished than say big trouble in little china Hmm. 
I do agree that like Big Trouble in Little China had some unpolished uh, visual effects. Like the weird floating head thing doesn't look matted. The the lighting doesn't look matched properly, and mm-hmm. you know there's there's things like that which I feel like this movie didn't really have a problem with. Like most of the effects, while some of them might be a little bit cheesy by today's standards because you know they all had to be practical, they mostly look correct. Like when you're looking at it, it looks like the thing is there. It's in the scene. You know, most of the time they were shooting with an actual thing that was there. Uh, the stop motiony kind of nature of things doesn't look too ridiculous, although it's not necessarily fantastic. But it was definitely more polished than Big Trouble in Little China, sure. However, I would say in Big Trouble in Little China, there were not like odd like cuts or things where like the story seemed to have weird jumps or non sequitur visual elements. But I, I found that there were actually quite a few in mm. the thing, and maybe that was uh, just me. I'll give a few examples. There's uh, during the blood test scene. There is a cut where a character literally disappears from a chair. It's the weirdest thing I've mm. ever seen. It's like you're literally a shot uh, down the row, and it just kind of like it's like I don't know if it's like a quick fade to black and then up, and then there's just one character not that, there anymore. Wait, was that after the guy was yelling, "Let me out of the chair"? Yeah, and then he just he's just gone. It's the well, they let him cut. out of the chair. Yeah, evidently not that we saw it. Uh, it must have been like we didn't quite have good footage of getting him untied or we did we had whatever like I for guess, some reason I, we didn't I, have a plan for how I it was going to go I didn't find that confusing because of the context I didn't think it was confusing I just thought it was weird, a weird cinema choi- a like, weird choice like, yeah I, did, I, I knew what happened but I was like gosh that's weird cinema it didn't feel very good it didn't feel polished I guess to, to, this is what I'm trying to talk about like things where it felt like actually that was a pretty unpolished way to have that occur mm-hmm. it was almost felt like a video game when like you you select that option from the dialogue tree it fades out you phase back in and the guy's not there yeah. right it yeah. felt like that. Like that's not really polished uh, visual storytelling to me. Uh, another uh, example of that, probably that I would say was a lot uh, more. I, I, I would say it's a it's a much bigger mark, negative mark uh, on the film for me, and that is a sequence where the characters go up to the place where uh, Snake Plissken supposedly lives. We've never really seen it. I don't think. Uh, I'm not sure, but like he supposedly lives up in the shack away from the main thing. Mm-hmm. We don't know why, uh, but that's just what happened. Does that's he just actually what we're live told. up there or he just spends a lot of time up there? I don't know. So anyway, we don't really know, but they're going to go up there, right? That's a thing. And he and this other guy are going up there to look to see why the light is on yeah. in that thing. And that entire sequence, I... I mean, I just couldn't parse. I couldn't parse a single thing that happened in that sequence. It was extraordinarily confusing. Mm. So first of all, two people set off. It's Snake Plissken and uh, the not. So it's it's basically like the c- cook, I think he was originally. Yeah. Um, it's not one of the other main characters who like they've that, that that he's fought with before. Are you talking about one of the black guy? Because there's the the black guy who he's got a lot of tension with, and then there's the the cook. I think he's the there cook. are multiple people he has tension with. There's there's a there's the black dude who is like at ends up being there at the end at of the, the end, movie. At the end, yeah, yeah. Which is right. Honestly, that's an area too. That guy but, where it feels like they were supposed to build up all this tension with this character, and it, it never, never felt really like fully yeah. developed. Like there's that dude. There's also the dude who tries to stab him. Right. Right. It's not those guys. It's a thir- it's a different guy who I think he was the cook. Okay. I think he he was because I think they showed him in the kitchen. Okay. And he's plays the guy who plays the, the boombox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. I think it's that guy. Right. Yeah. That he goes out with. Anyway, so that guy and him go out and there he says something like, "If we 
if if we go up there and the guy they're looking for comes mm-hmm. back in, kill him. Is basically what he says, I mm-hmm. think. So they go out there and all we know is that like and and we see a shot, like you just see a shot and it just looks like you like walk up a hill and it's there. Like there's not really anything weird about it. It's just it literally just looks like you walk up a slope and you arrive at this cabin. We're told they're up there for 45 minutes. That is like what's said in the script. We have no idea what was going on during that 45 minutes. None whatsoever. And in fact, when the characters eventually return, there is no explanation for how they could have been gone for 45 minutes. It it, literally looks like five minutes up a hill and you're there. Is it during this scene? Is is this when they become suspicious of uh, Kurt Russell's character? Yes. Yeah. And what we're told then later is the cook, I'm just going to call him the cook because that's, I think he was the cook. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember from the beginning. Mm-hmm. The cook comes back in first and he's like, I found some clothes of his like wedged in a thing or whatever, uh, which I assume he didn't want anyone to find. So he must be infected. Mm-hmm. And so I cut his toe line. We have never been told that there is even such a thing as a tow line or that one would need one to go up this thing that just looked like you could walk there. And then they're like, nobody could find their way back without that. Now, we've seen these shots. There's no pro Like, it's literally just crystal clear. Like, you could walk back and forth. I have no idea what they were talking about. None at all. It sounds like they were talking about something... Where they planned this thing to be much further away yeah, and that there was, was a raging yeah. blizzard or something. But the film doesn't show any of this, yeah. right? And so uh, I felt like that whole sequence was just totally nuts. Like like the opposite of polished. Like I had to like backfill tons of things for the movie in this, in this part. And it really felt uh, – that part felt really shoddy to me. And so there was a number of things like that where I'd say, I wouldn't say this felt very positive. I never had any of those complaints with Big Trouble in Little China. It's a bit zany, yeah, but I never felt like there were scenes where it just like the things that were being said didn't make any sense based on what I was seeing on the screen. You know what I'm saying? So this doesn't feel like the most yeah, polished film to me. I get what you're saying. I think I'm, I think I'm probably responding somewhat to the quality of the film itself. Like yeah. it's, it feels like higher budget and maybe because it's more modern or something or or maybe it was higher budget. Um, more modern than what? Than Big Trouble in Little China? It feels like it's basically this, around Big the Trouble same Trouble time. Big Trouble in like literally 10 years later, isn't it? Is it really? Isn't it something like that? Kurt Russell looks the same. Is it 10 years later? Maybe five years later? Eight years no, later? I don't, I don't know. know. I have no idea what the timeline is. Either way, it probably it's just that the thing is maybe higher budget yeah. or because uh, it was a more popular movie. It has since been restored. And, and so the film quality looked really, really Could nice. Um, and I think I'm also responding to the visuals of the location itself and how well it was shot and just how memorable of a location that was. Although, to be fair, John Carpenter's movies are all very memorable. Um yeah, and I, I think uh, if I remember correctly, this might have been the same cinematographer as on Halloween. And of course, Halloween is very, very well shot, yeah. even for for next to no money. So that probably helps tremendously uh, as well. But my assumption would be that the reason that it probably looks better to you in that regard is probably because it's less ambitious about the scale of the sets it was trying to do. Like Big Trouble Little China has a lot of like big battle scenes yeah, and totally. wide expanses. It's a lot easier to just like, okay, we're shooting a lot of this stuff in these small cramped rooms. We can just mm-hmm. build a set 
and go nuts, right? Uh, so, you know, um, that I might think, have been some I of think, it. like most John Carpenter movies, like all John Carpenter movies we've seen, the setup of this movie is by far the strongest. Um, like, yeah. there's just some really filmmaking, little filmmaking moments that I just loved. Like, for example, the dog. Yeah. Like, when the dog comes back and the... Uh, there's a shot where when the helicopter is leaving again, when they're going off to check out the, um, are they Danish? Norwegian. Norwegian. I can't remember. Or Swedish. Swe- yeah, yeah. As, uh, as Snake Plissken always tries to call them. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but they are not. They're Norwegian, uh, so I guess. So the helicopter's taking off to go check out the Norwegian camp, and the dog, there's a shot as it's flying away. You can hear the helicopter leaving, and the dog is hiding under the table, like, looking up. And it's just, like, a great moment. Uh, it's It's... It's just a little choice, but I, I feel like it was such a clever shot to add to the movie. Um, I would say overall, the uh, <laughs> the acting on the part of the dog was actually fantastic. Was. There was a number of scenes where the normal way a dog would probably do something is not what they had the dog do, and it worked very well. Mm-hmm. Like Times when the dog looked like it was almost thinking about something evil like like they got the dog to do things yeah they make that, you so suspicious of yes. this dog he does a great job of yeah of that sort of visual filmmaking of, yes of uh and it's like contextual too but he's that's why i say the the setup is so good because he's got you exactly in the right headspace at all the like at all points you you're thinking exactly along the lines of what he wants you to be thinking without saying anything and i think that's just so skillful and like I think I don't know I I just I watch that and I'm like dang like John Carpenter is just such a good director, he's doing something that like directors don't successfully do that often. Yeah, I mean he his reputation as underappreciated great filmmaker is very well earned. Uh, when you yeah. go back and watch the movies people are talking about, which he's like has a natural he has such a natural yeah. feel for for like visual storytelling. Which this movie would totally bombed when it was released. Mm. Uh, and and so did Big Trouble in Little China, right? And so, you know, you look at these and you go I don't like... Know, how, how did this movie bomb? Like, you look at it now and you're like, this is a... I mean, yeah, it's maybe got some problems, but it's a classic. Like, it feels like a classic. Like, it's 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 doing so many things so well. It's It's so creative and unique. I think... I mean, there's a number of reasons. But again, I think you're talking about a movie that is uh, visually pretty challenging like the the thing stuff is pretty gross right yeah i guess it's so, true if it's not if that maybe that's too tough for like a like a mainstream audience to handle I don't well know. so what i would say is so i think there is a marketing issue right john carpenter films are not steven spielberg films yeah you can't just go to one of these films and really enjoy yourself that's not what happens with a john carpenter film broadly speaking right it's very particular And I think, you know, when you look at something like what people have learned today about how to market horror films, for example, they're now very popular and make their money back quite easily, right? And I think part of that is the audience, you're giving a specific value proposition to the audience that now studios understand. Mm -hmm. And I think today people would understand who is the audience who could go to watch the thing and how do we tell them about this movie? That is understood. In those days, they probably had no idea what they were going to do with that, right? I think Alien, which came out slightly before this and obviously paved the way for this film. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, 
you know, I think they don't know. Like, they knew that movie was, was kind of popular, and they're just like, I don't know. Let's here's this other one, right? And so I don't think they had quite under gotten like a understanding for what the modern monster movie or modern horror movie marketing kind of style is. How do you reach that audience? So I think a lot of times one of the problems you probably get with someone like John Carpenter, and I'm just totally spitballing here. I have no idea, but I'm just guessing that like is it's just a little too ahead of the the, the curve. He's not making a generally palatable wide audience movie pretty much ever. Like it he's always making things that are pretty like specific. And when you're doing that, you you can help establish entire genres like you do like he did with Halloween. Yeah. But you're always swimming upstream, right? You're the person who came first. And 10, 20 years later, when people are now doing the more refined, more palatable version of what you were doing. It's mass market, but you don't, there's no thanks in it for you, other than the fact that all these filmmakers now will often cite John Carpenter, right? They'll cite his work. So we know that he had that effect, but it's like, I think that's a a, a challenge with being in that position, right? And you're never going to have these huge budgets to work with either because you're always a little bit on that sort of up, you're always a little bit testing the water, right? So my guess would be that a lot of it's just that. A yeah. lot of it's just that is when you're trying to do your own thing, um, that is a much harder sell. And, you know, some filmmakers happen to be in that sweet spot. Uh, I, I always think of Steven Spielberg because he kind of just has a sweetness to his movies where when he does a take on something, it tends to be mass marketable. It is, yes. That's just his natural thing. He's not... I don't feel like he's compromising his own ideas at all. I feel like that's just what he loves yes. about film is the same thing that the average audience loves about film. Yep. And that's just how that works, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, that's that's just how it is. So a harder life for John Carpenter than, you know, it probably should have been based on how much value he added to the industry monetarily mm-hmm. uh, in terms of influence and ideas and what you could mm-hmm. do. That's just where you are. That's just where you're yeah. at. But I mean, you know, all of his movies we've seen so far have various flaws, but I really just enjoyed watching them. They're all so different from each other. Yeah. And it's so it's so fun to see his range and and how good he is so consistently at so many things. Um, Yeah, it's just been so much fun to explore his films the last, you know. I agree. And I would say I'm, I'm still I'm continue to be interested to see more of John Carpenter's early work uh, because, you know, I'm sure there's some duds in there. And Escape from New York kind of was for me. Honestly, it was a dud. Um, Like, I don't really have any interest in watching that movie again. It was too boring. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I would definitely watch this again. I would watch Big Trouble in Little China again, and I would watch Halloween again. Absolutely. Same here. And also, I would say that in general, uh, his... Things that were duds for me, like Escape from New York, A, there are plenty of people who really love them, so they aren't duds for everybody. But also, they aren't they weren't movies that I was angry I had to watch. Yeah. Like sometimes I want like, you know, the live action, quote unquote, which was just 3D animated version of The Lion King was a movie where I was viscerally angry at the people who made it for wasting my time. Like what <laughs> like like I literally was like angry that someone was that uninterested in making something good that the, and then I had to sit through it <laughs> uh that was you know the kind of feeling I can have when I watch a movie yeah and I never feel that with a John Carpenter film I always feel like 
John Carpenter was on the other side really trying to make something great. And sometimes he succeeds and sometimes he fails, but I never feel like he was wasting my time or his, right? So I'm very interested to see the other things he does, even when they fail, because I don't know, I just... You've mentioned before that sometimes you have filmmakers who you just kind of respect them and you just give them the benefit of the doubt. And yeah. I think John Carpenter is definitely in that category. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I I'm I don't find myself being all that critical of his movies, even the ones that I think there's issues with, because there's so many good things about them, including Escape from New York. Yeah. Um. He's just he always he's doing all these interesting creative things. Uh, and like sometimes the the whole picture, the whole piece doesn't come together but there's still there's still things that are valuable about it so yeah i mean i don't know how much more i have to say about the thing other than just like i really enjoyed watching it and uh i'm i like you said i would totally watch more john carpenter um it's just been really fun me too uh there are some things i thought the movie did well as uh because i was talking about some criticisms of it i just want to point some things that they did well I 100% agree about the opening of this film. If we take out the, the saucer section yeah, issue. Yeah, ignoring that. I didn't mean um, that part either. But, you know, the, the bit with the dog at the beginning is a great way to open this movie. I think it was less effective than it should have been because going into the movie, you kind of know a little bit about it. So I was kind of like, oh, that must be the alien, right? Uh, because you kind of know about the thing. Mm-hmm. If you went into this movie cold... Uh, what a great first scene. I mean, it's still good, but it's like, what a great first scene that is because you have, why are these people trying to kill this dog? Exactly. What's going on, right? And that's just a, a fantastically uh, smart way to open this thing and to get the action moving in a way that's very confusing but intriguing to the audience. You're I really liked it. You're immediately curious. You're immediately curious. And so the actual effect was kind of muted on me because at this point, going into it, we knew what the thing was. I mean, it's been... 30 40 years since the i don't know 40 years it's been 40 years since this film was shot so we were kind of aware of what it was but if you had been going to the theater you know what this is i don't, well, John fair, saying, I don't know what that is I, you walk into the so theater i came into this right? movie not knowing anything okay so that's a better i know yeah. i knew nothing obviously when the, you see a flying saucer i'm like oh okay this yeah. is aliens but and then you, you but that's why i kind of liked about it is if i can look at it with a positive spin for having the aliens at the beginning is it immediately gets your brain thinking. So you see the dog and you're like, interesting. Is this, is, you know, is the dog somehow an alien? Are these guys in the helicopters somehow bad? And the dog is somehow good? Like, you don't actually know. Like, I'm just intrigued at that point, right? Um, And like, yeah, you know, without the flying saucer scene, you would still be asking questions. But I think, I think the... The hint that you've been given allows you to ask questions that push you in the right direction. And like, I don't know. I, like I said, I I did come in with no, like a blank slate. I Personally, I would much have preferred to not have seen the saucer section. So I mean, I'm just like, what is this dog? Why are they trying to shoot it? That's so much more gripping to me. And especially it makes the reveal later. If you imagine going into this movie cold, the reveal that the dog is this fucked up creature mm-hmm. is so much more compelling when you haven't already been shown a flying saucer no, right so i just feel like yeah. it was to me that's kind of just a big thumbs so down I, but I, I t- in the end i agree like i yeah. think the movie is better without that yeah. definitely it, it almost feels like a studio i mean i mean it probably wasn't like a studio notes kind of thing because i don't know that john carpenter like got studio notes i don't know if he was like important enough that the oh, I'm sure cared. studios meddled in stuff yeah. all the time. I don't think people ever made movies until until you're like a larger than life director. I think you always get people 
messing with your crap, no matter bit, how low budget it they are. It feels a little bit like uh, we need people to know right off the bat that this is like a science fiction horror film. It or might something. be. I, I don't. I know. don't know. Uh, um, I w- I just wish they hadn't done that. Either way. Uh, the effect would have been muted on me either way, though, because I vaguely knew. knew. Yeah. I mean, even just selecting it on, you know, Amazon Prime or however we yeah, got it. Yeah, I would say that it has actually, a freaking description. I would say right? that actually spoiled it's, me it's, more. It's, it's worse, I and I wish they'd stop that yeah. crap. Uh, but anyway, so you know, I, I really liked that opening scene. Very smart writing. Uh, and I also liked the ending. You know, yes. they didn't really try to do anything too, uh, you know, hokey or weird with the ending. They were just like, look, I guess we're just going to freeze to death. Movie is over. Mm-hmm. And that was it. I, I do right? like how this movie kept the, I, I like the way in which the guys, the characters in the movie were all like, felt to me kind of like pretty normal people and their reactions to thing were ac- the things were actually pretty normal. Like, they were not like I like I like it's like, oh, we found this thing. Let's go dissect it. Like it was a very like logical yeah. way to react to things. And I think it's very true to how people in the situation actually would have reacted. They wouldn't have just been like screaming or something. They would have been like, OK, let's try to figure this out. And you just kind of adapt. You're like, I guess this is what it is. It's like aliens or something. Um, and like and there was a lot of logical choices that they made. Like there would often be things that I would think in my head. That would be like, well, if this is true, then this has to be true. And like right after that, a character would basically say it like they were thinking through the same thought process that I was as the viewer. And that was really satisfying because it felt like the people in the scene were not like this happens a lot in horror movies. Right. Which is like people make dumb choices and do dumb things. And that was never a problem in this. It felt like I mean, their characters were making different choices because they're different people and they react to these situations differently. But in general, they were being very logical about the choices they made, and that was really satisfying. I would say that the only complaint I really had there was that I would have liked someone to have addressed the fact that, like, you know, in order for this movie to kind of work, it has to be assumed that these things clone your brain as well somehow, right? And I would have liked someone to at least acknowledge that at some point because, you know, one of the obvious first things you would do if you wanted to tell if someone was an imposter is you'd ask them a question that, you know, you wouldn't be able to answer, right? Um, and so I, you know, but at the same time, like, you wouldn't be able to speak and stuff either if you didn't clone the brain somehow. So the assumption here is that these things must just clone your entire brain so they would have the same memories as you do as well and things like that. And... You know, I was able to piece that together just fine, and it's a reasonable explanation, but it was a little bit weird that nobody at least had this thought or thought through that on screen. I would have kind of liked to have seen something like that. It's brief, just, but, you know, acknowledging the fact that that must be occurring. Otherwise, how the hell are these things actually can't? There's a big difference between cloning a dog, which doesn't have any specific verbal communication that we would recognize, right? So, right, like it, the, it could just observe other the other dogs and kind of and just kind of try mimic to act them, like, right? Yeah. But it'd be very hard. You can't by observation know things like oh, because uh, even if you learn how to speak to make the sounds, you wouldn't know things like what are the rules of grammar for these other sentences I haven't heard or. Uh, 
who was the first president of the United States, right? You could have just asked that question. And if they weren't cloning the entire brain, a mimic couldn't answer. It would have any idea who the first president of the United States was because no one has said that so far, right? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I would have liked to see them address that a little bit because it felt like it was kind of an undercurrent of like, gosh, someone should have had this thought and then confirmed that they couldn't do that first before we got to blood test. But, you know, so there you there you have it. Yeah, I don't know that that ever really bothered me all that much just because it didn't like, bother me much. Because yeah, I mean, but... they show that little graphic of like the cell taking over the cell. And the implication of that is it would just do that to all the cells in the body. And that would mean it's an identical copy so it's like you know your brain is copied then your brain is copied right i would also say that i enjoyed the uh initial the first sort of shot we get of snake plissken uh <laughs> thinking he has beat the computer at chess oh it's a great intro and then to that losing, character. totally yeah. losing in mm-hmm. like one move mm-hmm. uh and that was fantastic as well i've become a huge uh, kurt russell fan these john carpenter movies have made me into a big Kurt Russell fan. I was already a huge Kurt Russell fan, even though the only John Carpenter Kurt Russell I'd seen was Big Trouble in Little China. But I love Kurt Russell. He's fantastic. He's so I mean, fun to watch. I'm I'm a huge fan. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen Kurt Russell in something where I wasn't happy that Kurt <laughs> Russell showed up. Like pretty much, uh, it's it's always good, even if he's in a movie I think sucks. It's yeah, like Guardians, of the, I Guardians like, of the Galaxy Volume Two or whatever. Yeah, I love Kurt Russell. Like he's just good. Uh, and even when the movie is kind of bad, he's not. I yep. mean, that was true of Escape from New York. I didn't think it was a particularly good film. But he was yet, fantastic. Yeah, he plays one of the most iconic, like such an iconic character. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So he just has a certain persona and a certain way uh, where, like, if this if that's the kind of character you're looking for, it's really hard to beat Kurt Russell. Well, not even that uh, kind of character, because, like, as we talked about, the Big Trouble in Little China, very different character for him, and still fantastic. So, well, it's still the same kind of character. That's right? true. He's, playing, he's like action. It's, he's just you know. he's he's like sort of uh, parroting his own. Kind that's of true, role, that's true. but it's he's like, not yeah. playing a different kind that's of character. True. He's not like, oh, you know, this is the. He, he, he doesn't feel like Daniel Day Lewis, where <laughs> he's you're not like, like a chameleon, where yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, okay, you know, like in There Will Be Blood, he's quite different than in Phantom Thread. It's like, no, in Kurt Russell's Kurt Russell, generally in the movie, that's true. That's but true. But he does a fantastic job of being Kurt Russell in basically every movie I've seen him in, and it's just, it's always enjoyable. Like. Yep. If you have a part that is suitable for Kurt Russell, you should cast Kurt Russell is basically my opinion on filmmaking. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, is that it for The Thing? I think it might be. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was anything else that was worth uh, mentioning where we're just like, this is something we should talk about. I mean, about. for me, I just like can't state it enough just how much I loved the the practical effects, like monster visuals. It, I just loved I loved it. Okay. Okay. They were so gross and like they were so well gross. made. Yeah. Like when the guy's face is stretching, it's so well done. It does seem like they had a really good practical effect. Like team. when it flops yeah. down to like the side of the table and then like yeah. gloops to the floor. Yeah. And like it's just so good. It's so good. So uh I'm trying to think. There were a few world buildy things that I that I thought could have been done better too. I'll just mention briefly. Like I don't know what people were doing at this outpost, which felt a little weird. I was it's like, like research, man. Research. Of what? I don't know. Uh, and so that was particularly confusing because it was like, like one of the things I really like about James Cameron mo- movies um, back when he made movies. Uh, <laughs> what does he make was, now if they're not movies? Uh, Products? Anim- animated 
something. I don't know what they are. They don't feel like James Cameron movies to me for mm. whatever reason. Okay. But back when he made movies, one of the things I really liked about his movies was that there was usually a reason why the stuff was the stuff. It's like, you know, they didn't just suddenly have a bunch of people like doing crazy army stuff in Aliens. They were like, no, like the Marines got dispatched. That's why we have a dropship and crazy guns with uh, grenades on the bottom. It's not just like Mm -hmm. some people showed up and had those or whatever, right? So there's usually, and the same was true of the Abyss. Like he's, I think we talked about this when we talked about Avatar 2. He's really into that kind of tech stuff. And he usually has like a good idea of why those things are there. Why do we have this submersible unit? Why do we have this? Why Mm -hmm. do we have that, Mm -hmm. right? And I think this movie, I didn't feel like they did a very good job with that. I would have liked to have seen them have an idea of, what are we researching here? Why do we have two flamethrowers in the middle of the Arctic? Like, Mm -hmm. What would you ever have that for? Mm -hmm. It's not a thing you would have in an Arctic research station for any reason, because there's nothing to burn there, right? Um, So, you know, there was stuff where it was like they said that they had this stuff and there was certain things. We have this helicopter. We have this tractor. We've got this shed. We've got this tool place. We've got these flamethrowers. I've got these, uh, you know, blood bank. I, it just, I don't know why. And I don't know why those are the specific things they had. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more Cameron in here. Explain to me why we got flamethrowers. Is this is this some kind of a place where we're doing research on on fire temperature I mean, thing? I don't, I don't know, right? If I had to be, if I had to guess, it's just because there's probably when things get like snowed in and stuff, there's probably a need to sometimes like melt stuff. Exactly. So you know, a great example of let's say that's the explanation. A great example of what would have made this movie a little bit better for me is let's see that at the beginning. Some guys out there melting the thing. That's why we have a flamethrower, mm-hmm. right? And I like those little touches because it makes the movie feel more grounded, especially in one like this where I'm supposed to be like transporting myself to this weird, isolated environment. I like to get a tangible feel for why all the things that are there are there, and it makes the movie more enriching for mm. me. And I felt like this movie missed opportunities for that. I, I'm not suggesting it needed to have an explanation for the flamethrowers like that. Could have been some other explanation, but I like having it's like, why do we have these things? Why are these the things that we've got? Um, and so, you know, that would have been an example of a way that, that it could have been an upgrade screenwriting wise, nothing to do with John Carpenter, uh, but the, the actual, well, I mean, he worked on the script as well, obviously. So I guess it is something, to do, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The screen, screenwriter, I would have liked some of that sure. as well. Sure. Um, but yeah, overall, again, another good John Carpenter flick. I wasn't as excited about it as you were. You, you, this to you sounds like maybe your top one. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hard for me to stack them because like there's, they're very different. They're different. Exactly. Like, I don't know that I would pick this above Big Trouble in Little China. It would really depend on, like, what mood I was in to watch, right? I, I like. I mean, the only one that I would put below definitely is Escape from New York. Right. But between this and the other two ones we really liked of the ones we've seen on the movie club, um, I wouldn't say it's better or worse. It's just, like, equally as good and it would really just be depending on, like, what mood I was in to pick which one would be my favorite for that moment. You know what I mean? I would say uh, the other interesting thing about the these three movies, which we all thought were were good, uh, is they're just totally different. Yeah, they're which so is pretty different. interesting. That's right? what I'm saying. Like I couldn't pick because they're yeah. too different. Like they're yeah, it's really just they're 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 totally totally yeah. different. And you know that's another one of those things that's pretty impressive. When John Carpenter sits down to make a movie, it doesn't really seem to 
be like, oh, I only make horror movies or yeah, I not, only make sci-fi or make this. He's not falling back on yeah. any sort of like lazy yeah. self-plagiarism kind of yeah. tropes where he's just doing the John Carpenter thing. Like there's he's always being creative and he's always doing <clears throat> what that particular story wants. He, you know, I, you know, and I, I was drawing an unflattering comparison to James Cameron. I was like. It would be nice if the John Carpenter film did more world building. I can go the other way and say James Cameron only makes one kind of movie. Yeah. Right. It's like that's it. You get you get aliens slash the abyss slash whatever. Even Titanic kind of feels like you know Terminator on a boat for some reason. It does. Even though it's not, there's no robot. <laughs> you know. Um. So it's it's very much like tonally one note, mm-hmm. and uh, he tried to kind of not do that. True Lies is an example of something that tries to be a little bit more like Big Trouble in Little China. It just does not work. So when he tries to go away from that, for me, I'm just like, ugh. So uh, one of the other sort of feathers in John Carpenter's cap here, I think, is that like he was able to do some really compelling stuff in basically three completely different genres with these three movies. Like, straight up, like, defining the kind of modern horror genre with Halloween, doing a sci-fi thriller a la Aliens with The Thing, and doing a comedy action flick Mm -hmm. with Big Trouble in Little China. That's a pretty great hat trick uh, to pull off for any director. So, great work. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure we will watch more John Carpenter movies sure for the movie will. club. I don't know that we'll do... We've done quite a few in a row now. <laughs> so we might switch There's it up. two quite a few okay, in well, a row. It was, it's more than we normally do for, two, yeah. for a single director. So but, yeah. we'll see. I mean, who knows? We don't yeah. know, you know, the way we do the movie club now is just kind of like whatever movie we feel like watching. So Well, the next knows? movie is going to be Disney's new hit musical, Wish. I mean, how do we? We got to get that on stream. I mean, maybe we should. I mean, I'm going to trash that for an hour and a half. I can already should tell we? you how. I, if do they you, put do it you want to go to the movies? If they put it on, no, I am not showing up at a theater for yeah, that. I'm not paying money for that. Turd. Uh, so that that film looks so bad that I'm imagining this will like be below light year somehow. I do think it would be really fun for us to watch that one and, I'm and sure it rant would be. about it though. So, you know, if that pops up on streaming or is rentable yeah. at some point in the not too distant future, maybe yeah. we'll take a look Frozen at that. Frozen 3 colon oh. Wish or whatever it is. Hey we'll man, you never know. Out. We'll watch whatever we feel like watching. Yes, we will. I did want to see that new Martin Scorsese movie, Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay. I don't know There's when that will be available on streaming, but... It must be because uh, so both that and that Napoleon, the Ridley Scott Napoleon oh, one, yeah. are I believe, uh, sort of Apple film vanity projects. So they paid, you know, $200 million, you know, a movie for those two movies or something like that to get these big name directors to do them, right? Uh, And uh, they must be putting them on their streaming platform. It would make no sense if they did, because nobody expected either of those films to gross over $200 million the box oh, yeah. office either, right? So yeah. they were just basically doing like, we're trying to gain this prestige. Uh, and and so, you know, they must be coming on Apple TV plus thing. Well, in that case, we'll probably get to check one of those out at some point in the yep. future. Anyway, we'll be back at some point. Yes, we will. With another movie. Yes. And it'll be a surprise for everyone. Yes. So until then. Uh, thanks for watching, everyone. Thanks. thanks for watching films. Thanks for watching films. Yeah. And listening to this podcast. And we will see you in the next one. Take it easy, everybody. Bye.